did the two-a-days. We did it in August in Missouri, very hot and humid. Get up early in the morning, we'd, we'd run a mile or two, then we'd have breakfast, we'd have practice a little bit later on in the morning, make sure it gets a little warm, dews off the grass. And we would practice for two and a half hours uh, without water, because water is only for sissies. That's what my coach said, water is for sissies. Uh, we would take salt pills, which was even worse, but no water until the end of practice. And then we would do it again in the afternoon at 4 o'clock, hottest time of the day, two and a half hours, no water for all you sissies. So then afterwards, what would everyone do? Can you imagine? What did we all do as soon as practice was over? You found some water, right? So we would go to the water fountain. We'd elbow each other out of the way, literally got in fist fights with some of the water. Didn't have these nice bottles like we have today. And afterwards, you just chug it down, right? I mean, doesn't that feel good? It tastes so good when you are thirsty. Blessed are those that hungry and thirst for righteousness. God promises that they will be filled. So we're all hungry. We're all thirsty for certain things. Dana talked about that a little bit earlier. I, I don't thirst so much for water like I used to. I don't get that dehydrated probably as much as I used to. don't work as hard nearly as I used to physically. I do get hungry for some things like french fries. Very, you know, you don't, I don't get enough salt, I think. Got to have those french fries, you know, McDonald's. Uh, late at night, I get very hungry for ice cream. Got to have a little fat in the diet, you know. I don't know why my body craves that. Some days I think I'm pregnant, but I guess I'm not, no. Now, you know, no disrespect, those of you that have been pregnant, mothers, what kind of special things did you crave? Do you remember? What did you, you crave? Somebody yell it out. Chocolate, right? Got to have chocolate any time, day or night. Anybody else? Eggs and hash browns. Well, now, I, was it Russell or Clark that said meatballs? Now I know where they get it from. All right, okay. Meatballs, right, comes from the womb. What else? Ice cream as well, there we go. Garlic, gotta have garlic. Okay, there you go. Don't under, I don't understand that one, but you know, whatever it is, your body needed it, right? Your body needed it and it told you. You didn't understand it necessarily, but it told you just like your body tells you when you're thirsty. In the same way when you're sick, our body tells us what we need. So sometimes, for example, we have the flu, and you get dehydrated, but you don't know it. You feel weak, no longer have any strength. Sometimes you even have to go to the hospital. They hook you up to an IV, and you're like, but I'm not thirsty. But your body, it knows what it, what it needs, even though our mind can't always comprehend it. So also with our spirit and with our soul. Augustine once said that every human being has a hole in their heart but it's shaped like God. And so we have all these things that we search for that we think will be fulfilling in life, that will bring us satisfaction and happiness. And yet, even after we get them, that hole is not filled. Today we're going to talk about righteousness as the 
Beatitude says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, not just for anything, not for the things of this world, but for righteousness, and they will be filled. Are you hungry for righteousness? Do you even know what that means? So often in the church we misunderstand. What is righteousness? Is that the person who always does the right thing? Is it morality? Is it, is it piety? What about those holy rollers? We don't talk that much about that kind of thing in the Lutheran church, but we've certainly heard this. Have you ever thought about someone, because you would never say it, that they act like they are what? Holier than thou, which means you. <laughs> Who do they think they are acting so holy and righteous all the time? Is that what we're talking about? I don't know. My grandfather, he had a definition for those who were righteous. He said that the righteous person is the person who, who doesn't drink or smoke or swear or cuss or chew or go out with girls who do. Is that it? <laughs> Probably not. What is this righteous? Well, I don't know, sometimes in the English language it's best if we can't figure out a word is to look at what it isn't and get the meaning from that. So what about unrighteousness? We could probably define that. Maybe it's evil. What are some evil things? Violence, war, selfishness. A lot of bad things go on in the world we'd probably call unrighteous, lying, stealing, breaking any of those ten commandments. Maybe that would qualify for unrighteousness. Isaiah, he puts it this way, at least doesn't really define what it is, but he, he tells us a lot about how we feel when we pursue it. It's there in your notes unrighteousness promises but never delivers. It promises happiness. If I only were to get this thing, then I would be fulfilled. But it only delivers what? Disappointment and desperation, spiritual disease, spiritual and eternal death, separation from God. It's like the guy who who dreams about certain things. I don't know if you're dreaming about meatballs, but uh, maybe ice cream. So the hungry person who dreams he's eating and awakens still hungry because it was just a dream, right? It wasn't real. Or the thirsty man who dreams he's drinking, whatever it might be, water or something else, and then you awaken in the morning and you're still faint because it wasn't real. So let's just agree on this, whether righteousness is right order, right living, right relationship. It all begins with God, doesn't it? What does Paul write to the Romans? How many people are righteous? No one. No one is righteous, at least not on our own, not in our own efforts. If we were all righteous, we wouldn't need to confess earlier, would we? 
if we never made any mistakes, if we always followed the will of God, if we were always in right relationship with one another and the Lord, uh, but we're not, and we don't. So we confess once again. So righteousness begins with God and his purity, his holiness, and with Jesus following the will of his Father. To go to the cross, take all of our sins upon himself, to die in our place, so that we could have that relationship with God, so we could make the right choice, so we could do the will of God, not in our strength, but in the strength of the Lord. So let's get rid of this one little four, the four-letter word. Uh, my father always told me four-letter words were bad. Here's one of them. It's S-E-L-F, self righteousness, but rather it begins at the cross. Well, we talked a little bit about righteousness, but let's continue on here with our meaning. Uh, I know from uh, earlier polls that not everyone follows the sermon preview of blessed are those who do. All right? Now that's uh, Pastor Teeman, the attitude, not one of God's. So if you did actually follow the sermon preview this week, you know that there was a little story that I told. If you didn't read it or didn't get to it or, or didn't hear it, let me give you a quick summation. Some of you have heard this story before. There was a, a businessman, very successful. He was wealthy and he wanted to give back to his community. And he was asked to give the commencement speech at a middle school. So sixth graders. These were the kids from the neighborhood he had grown up in. Very poor, very impoverished. Uh, most of those kids normally would not go on to high school, let, al let alone go to college. He didn't know what to say. How many of you have ever gone to a graduation and, you know, two hours later you couldn't remember what the speaker said? I've been that speaker and I couldn't remember what I said. I, if you, I mean, you've got to be really, really, really good for anyone to remember anything. So he wanted them to remember something. He wanted them to take something away. So he said, I'm not going to give a speech, but instead I'm going to make a promise. And the promise was that he would give all 61 of those sixth graders $2,000. Now he started an account in their name, and then he added to it every year so there would be enough money to pay for the college tuition all four years for all 61 kids. Now that's where I left it. Do you know the rest of this story, as Paul Harvey would say? Remember only about six or seven would even go on to college, let alone graduate. Now, I made the promise not only would he pay for their entire college tuition, but they could contact him at any time, ask for advice, ask for encouragement, anything at all. Talk about life choices, and many of them did. Now, ironically, one of the side benefits was that not only did all 61 go on to high school and graduate, but many of them got academic scholarships. 
And they got out of poverty and they got good jobs. And most of them went on to be responsible citizens. And they raised responsible families. And of those 61, 58, all but three, graduated from college. Great story, isn't it? Great story. But I don't tell you that just to inspire you to give your money away to strangers or even to stay in school or to encourage your children to do that, but because it's a great parable. Now, it's an actual true story. It really did happen, but I'm telling it here today for you because this is what God does for all of his children. Take a look first at the real story. Because the shape of their future was changed, so also was their present. Now, usually the graduation speech is something like this. If you work hard, you keep your nose to the grindstone, shoulder to the wheel. You know, look at me. I did that. I worked hard. I did all the right things. And you can turn out kind of like me. He didn't say that. He said, I'm paying for your college tuition, no strings attached. No matter how long it takes, even if you mess up, the money will always be there. And what changed? Because they had a promise for the future, their present changed as well. They became better students. They got academic scholarships. They became better citizens. They went on to high school. They graduated. They went on to college. They graduated. So also for us. God does not say if you work hard, keep your nose to the grindstone, shoulder to the wheel, keep my commands, follow my will, then I'm going to give you the kingdom. No. He says the kingdom is yours. It's paid for. The blood of my son has paid the price. You're in. And we look forward, don't we, to that day when the Lord returns in all of his glory. How does the hymn go? Turn your eye on Jesus. Full on his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. We look forward to that. What a marvelous day it will be when the Lord returns in all of his glory with the angels and the trumpet. We have the new heaven and the new earth. No more poverty, no more disease, no more death. And everyone then will do what is right. Righteousness will prevail. But that day is not here yet, is it? While we pray, come Lord Jesus, you think it's just a, a meal before dinner? It's like, come quickly because this earth is a mess. And one day he will. 
But when that promise of the future becomes a part of who we are, a part of our identity, that we are the children of God, that is a part of becoming new. In fact, it's already occurred in our baptism. And our perspective changes. And we understand that there are good things on this earth and then there are the even more wonderful things that our Lord would give to us. We have hope. We have faith. We have gratitude for what the Lord has done. Kind of like the guy at the pool of Bethesda. Do you remember the story? 38 years he's an invalid, whether he's paralyzed or has leprosy or whatever it might be. Can you imagine? 38 years. That's almost as old as I am. <laughs> Can't walk. And yet the angel of the Lord comes and stirs the water in the pool. And whenever he does, the first one in, first one in the pool, <laughs> is healed miraculously. But you've got to have somebody to get you in. He's been there 38 years. He doesn't have anybody to get him in. So Jesus comes around. He's heard about this guy. Asks him, what do you want? Oh, new house would be good. Car that doesn't need repairs, that'd be good. Maybe a wife. And then some children, grandchildren, that would be nice. No, he doesn't ask for any of that. All good stuff, isn't it? What does he want more than anything? What is he hungry for? He wants to be healed. So would we. And Jesus says, why don't you just get in the water? <laughs> what? That's the problem. I can't. So Jesus heals him physically. A very good thing. But not the greatest thing, not the most important thing. What about the disciples? Are you watching The Chosen? Hopefully at home you're watching The Chosen. What do the disciples want more than anything? Get rid of those dang Romans, right? Bring the new kingdom. We're all going to be in control. We're going to be in the right political party. We're going to be in control. It's going to be a, quote, Christian country. <laughs> You've got it all wrong. Oh, that would be a good thing. How many of you are praying for that? It's not the most important thing. What did the man who was healed need the most? Children, what's always the right answer to the question? Jesus. A relationship with Jesus. Forgiveness from Jesus. Salvation from Jesus. The promise of eternal life from Jesus. What did the, the disciples need the most? Not a new country without the Romans, but Jesus. 
My friends, let me end on this. We all hunger for good things. We want our kids to grow up, be successful, go to college maybe, get a good job. We're going to pray for healing later on in the service. The good thing. Maybe a new house or a new car. Good thing. Better job. Good thing. Peace in the country. That'd be a really good thing. But it's not the most important. The only thing that will ever satisfy us in the here and now. It's not a human relationship. It's not a job. It's not a material thing. Only Jesus will fill that hole in our heart. The longing that we have and bring fulfillment and satisfaction. And the great thing is <laughs> you're not always going to be hungry and you're not always going to be thirsty. And sometimes you're going to be hungry for the wrong thing. And sometimes you're even going to be hungry, thirsty for the bad thing. But Jesus is our great benefactor, and there are no strings attached. It is solely a gift. As Luther says, all of this, all of the material in all of the spiritual, all of this purely out of divine goodness and mercy, without any merit, without any worthiness, without any righteousness in me. It is truly a gift. My prayer for you, that you would remain thirsty for Jesus and remain hungry for him. Today we have the opportunity to hear again from a couple of our young people. It's always a privilege to hear their faith statements as they prepare for their confirmation on that first Sunday in June. And so, to encourage them, let's give them a warm welcome and a round of applause, if you'll do that 